My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the script consultant here at On the Page. And joining me as guest for the day is the very great Richard R.B. Botto. The very well-known, very great, very fabulous, very handsome Richard R.B. Botto. Hello, mm. Richard. I will take all of those compliments. <laughs> okay, R.B., the last time I saw you... Yeah. Oh my God! It was Are you so embarrassing. Tell story? Yes, because I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> and it looked like I was drunk, and I was not. No, you were not. We were at AFM, mm-hmm. and I was having lunch with a friend, and I'm up on a high stool, mm-hmm. and I reached over to hug you hello, and my heel caught on the stool, and. I went completely down with the entire stool, and Abi caught me like the prince that he is. <laughs> but I really looked, it was so embarrassing. It was a Lois Lane Superman catch. <laughs> That's what it was. It really was. It was like two arms underneath two arms. I don't know how the heck it happened, but somehow it did. <sighs> God, it was humiliating. I was very proud of that moment. So I'm just so glad you're on the show so I can like be like, <laughs> no, I swear to God, I'm not a big drunk. But anyway, RV is here. And uh, for those of you who don't know RV Botto, he founded and runs Stage 32, the world's largest platform for connecting and educating film pro- professionals and content creators. Now, as a producer, RV's films have played at dozens of festivals, including Sundance. And these, these films also include the award-winning feature Another Happy Day and the award-winning shorts All Things Hidden and Taxi. Now, was it Taxi with two eyes? Two eyes, yeah. Okay, all right. And his screenplay The End Game is currently in development at Covert Media. RB is also the author of the first book on the subject of film crowdsourcing called Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers, colon, Indie Film and the Power of the Crowd. The book was recently published by Focal Press under the prestigious AFM banner and has already become one of the publisher's best-selling titles. Congratulations. Thank you. That's what we're here to talk about today, mm-hmm. is to talk about the book, Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers, and to talk about the subject, Crowdsourcing for Filmmakers. And I want to start by asking you what you define as crowdsourcing. Yeah, and, let me, and, I, and I also would like to start, because I know this is, you know, obviously it's a screenwriting podcast, and, um, or mostly for screenwriters. Screenwriters and, course, and TV writers. And TV writers, and, and we know that some you know, screenwriters also want to become filmmakers. Yeah, we have a lot of indie film filmmakers actually because these days people want control of their content they want to do their own thing very much so and that's why this book is really important but also why I want to state that I hate the title (laughs) so it really isn't crowdsourcing for filmmakers everybody's like oh man when are you going to write one for screenwriters or for actors or it, this is the title that the, you know, I, I fought for crowdsourcing for content creators uh. because it, the publisher plays in the world of film. Sure. This is the type of uh, material they put out and they publish. 
But this is really for anyone that is looking to build an audience or a brand. And business people have picked this book up, entrepreneurs have as well. And there's a reason for that. And that's because I always say that as creatives, we're entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. If you're a writer, you're an entrepreneur. If you're an actor, you're an entrepreneur. This book is very, very much in the entrepreneurial spirit of how do you build a brand for you and for the brand of your material? And how do you build an audience uh, of an army of boots on the ground in support of your work? Because we know as writers, the most important thing is getting read. And in my opinion, relationships equal reads. This is something I say all the time. Relationships equal reads. So the idea of crowdsourcing, which everybody and their mother confuses with crowdfunding. <laughs> Including me. Yeah, well, it's okay. I was, I was writing all these, these questions out, and then I was like, wait a minute. You yeah. said crowdsourcing. What am I doing? This isn't all about money. Yeah. This is about, like you said, sort of the, a, a wider range. It's a totally different thing. It's a totally different subject, but it's really interesting because, and I get so many people that are like, oh, you wrote a book on funding. Like, I need to know about funding. I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, this is about sourcing a crowd. And, but as it relates to crowdfunding, which we could talk about, you cannot have a successful crowdfunding campaign without an element of crowdsourcing. So in the book, there, is a, there are two chapters on crowdfunding as well. So, you know, we get into that a little bit. But, you know, crowdsourcing at its most base, to answer your question, is identifying, engaging, and moving a crowd. It's how do you, and, you know, think about it from this perspective. You, when, sometimes when I ask a filmmaker who is, or a screenwriter, you know, who is this for? Who mm-hmm. is this material for? I'll get the response, everyone. Right. And we all know that's not true. Okay? If you think about your favorite movie of all time, I'm sure you could think of some people that say, oh, God, that movie sucks. Sure. Even if it's a really good movie. So how do you identify who this material is for? How do you engage them? And how do you get them in, you know, over time to move them on behalf of you and the material? This is all about relationship building, which is so important in our business, in our industry. It is a long game. And a lot of people don't understand that. People do not understand that this business is a marathon and not a sprint. Mm -hmm. Every day should be spent building relationships as much as it is spent on honing your craft. It just is the truth, in my opinion. Okay. How do you do that without being pushy? Well, I think it starts with you got to be a giver. Mm -hmm. It comes, everything is about coming from a place of selflessness, in my opinion. Um, you know, the most obvious place where people try to build relationships in this world is, you know, that's on social media. When you sign up for a social media account, you're basically being handed a microphone, but so is everybody else. So a lot of people get handed that microphone and the first instinct is to go, hey, look at me, shout the loudest, you know, be the, be the big bully in the room in a lot of ways, talk about how great you are, you know, flex the ego. That doesn't work. It just doesn't. Think about how many times somebody has said to you, hey, look at my stuff. Hey, help me with this. Hey, and you don't know them, mm-hmm. okay? You're going to get rejected. And what ends up happening is a lot of people get on social media and they start getting... Now, some people do this because this is the way they are in their real lives. And some people do this because this is they don't know any better. They don't understand how to use social media. They don't understand the power of it. So they get discouraged because they don't get the response they want. But I always say, you know, if you, be, if you treat your online life... Or if, if you treat your online life, online life the same way you do your offline life, you're going to get ahead. And here's an example of that. By taking that microphone and saying, hey, look at me, it's the equivalent of walking into a crowded room of strangers you know, at a conference and saying, I'm the greatest writer of all time. You should read my material. Now, would you do that? Most mm-hmm. people would not. Right. So don't do it online. 
you know? The same thing is true of going into a crowded room and staying completely silent. Nobody, what are you going to gain? I'm going to a conference of, of screenwriters or producers or financiers or whatever, and I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to hang out there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come home and complain about the fact that it was terrible because nothing happened. Mm-hmm. That's the other side of it. So the people that are the most successful in this business build relationships by coming from a place of selflessness. They know about the target they're looking to hit. They know about the minutia of that person's life or the person's in the business or the person's content, and they ask questions about it. They share content. They ask questions. Um, they, be, they create a relationship, you know? So that's where it all begins. It all begins from coming from this place of not, I'm, I'm not looking for anything. I'm looking to give. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so going back to uh, if you're a screenwriter mm-hmm. and you... Uh, it, would you say crowdsourcing it would begin at the screenplay, or would crowdsourcing begin? Hmm. Well, actually, why don't I just ask you directly who who needs crowdsourcing? At what stage in their career do people need crowdsourcing? The second you decide that you're you know you're you're uh, pursuing anything, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. I mean, if whether whatever business you're pursuing, it's not just you know regulated to the arts, let's say. Here's an example. I started as a, an actor in this business and then I moved over to producing a little bit, but I wasn't writing. And in between that, I had started Stage 32. My brand really, just by virtue of Stage 32 kind of blowing up when it first started, it became that I was the CEO of Stage 32. I was the face of Stage 32. That's great for the business, mm-hmm. but it certainly was not great for my creative pursuits mm-hmm. because people didn't know that I had acted and that I had produced, and they didn't know I was now pursuing writing. So I almost had to serve two masters here. I had to brand myself as the Stage 32 guy, and you know, this person that was trying to be altruistic and trying to help other creatives and create this you know, successful business. But I also had to figure out how do I navigate getting people to understand that I'm a writer as well. So what I did was, and I wasn't a big proponent of social media, which is amazing because I started a social media company, but that, <laughs> but that was part of the reason why I did. I didn't like broad-based social media. So I decided to land at that time on one platform outside of Stage 32, and that was Twitter. Okay. And what I did on Twitter was I spent probably a month just identifying accounts, people on Twitter, and you know, sometimes it was identifying people off Twitter and then finding their Twitter account. Sure. But you know, identifying these people and saying, okay, I'm going to start by following them. I'm going to look at what they post. I'm going to respond to some of the things that they post. I'm going to make it all about them. Mm-hmm. But these are people that are either in the realm of producing, they're fellow writers that I might want to befriend and maybe get some information from, they're development executives that you know are working in the genre that I'm going to be writing in. These are the people I'm going to start building relationships with. And I put in a ridiculous amount of time doing that. And it was work. And I want to stress that, that relationship building in a lot of ways is work. But if you do it well, it's a lot of fun. And how, it is. how interesting. So, so these people, the people that could read your script, the people that could finance your script mm-hmm. are now going, oh, this, this guy just mm-hmm. retweeted something I did or sure. responded in a thoughtful way to something that I said or mm-hmm. supported me. Ah, I wonder who this guy is. So it just creates that kind of like, oh, this, this seems like a good person. Yeah. And I love that over a month, that's all that you're doing. You're not going, and may I please have. No, in fact, there's no, and, and can I please have, with the exception of 
maybe I find, like I read the trades every morning. I treat that as part of my job as well. So if I found something interesting or something controversial, I would share that content with my audience. People started to follow me, but then sometimes I would put, I would take that same content and tweet it to some of these executives who I would, you know, who, where I would say, what do you think about this? Or how do you feel about this? Or do you have any opinion on this? And you'd be surprised at how many people will respond to that because you got to understand these executives, as you know, the higher you climb, the more you get hit up by people saying, read my, help me, do this for me. Right. So when they do get somebody coming to them genuinely interested in their opinion and genuinely interested in what they're doing or what they're developing, or if they go out and they go, hey, we just signed actor X to you know, the lead in this film, if it's a producer or whatever, to say, you know, congratulations, that's great. Like, you know, was this your first choice? Or was that, you know, something that just engages them. Mm-hmm. Something that engages them makes them human. Mm-hmm. And they are. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget that. These executives are human beings. Like, right. you know, they, they get treated like robots, but they're human beings. So what happened after a month was I started getting some really uh, influential people following me back, people contacting me through DM saying, you know, thank you for doing that. Thank you for asking me that. Thank you for, you know, and at that point, maybe it would be, you know, hey, can I exchange an email address with you? Can, you know, but not, still not asking to be read. Not that, not yet. You know what I mean? You're still building that relationship over time. But what you're also doing is you're building respect and champions of you. And I can't stress this enough how important this is in this business. You want to have people who are going to go to war for you or are going to go to other people of influence in support of you because you have proven your worth. Okay. First, you're going to prove your worth as a good person. And that matters in this business. It certainly matters these days. It Definitely. matters very much so. Yeah. More than ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you want to prove your worth as a good human being and a good person. But then, you, you know, eventually what your goal is, of course, is to get those reads where people, now you've proven yourself as a really good writer. Okay? And while that material might not be right for this person, that person might go, well, this writer's a really good guy or girl. And he wrote a really, you know, he or she wrote a really great script. And I think I know where I could push this. And literally, this is how I built my writing career, how I landed my manager, how I got to covert media. Um, and even over the last, I think, eight weeks, I've been on, I'm not, and this is no joke, I include calls as meetings as well, probably about 40 calls and meetings over the last, I would say, eight to 10 weeks mm-hmm. on three other scripts that I'm writing. Every single one of them, and I thought about this, none of these came from a cold query. None of them came from a, hey, look at my. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them either came from a relationship that I've built over the last six, seven years, or through a relationship I built where that person said, I'm going to bring, you know, I'm bringing this to somebody else. I think this is who would love to read, you know, this is a person that would love to read this. It fits into what they're doing. Or where I have gone to somebody else and said, I know you have a relationship with that person because I've done my research and I've been on IMDb Pro and I saw you produce this movie with this guy. Would you be willing to bring that script over? This is how I've gotten all these meetings and all these things. But it took six, seven years of relationship building. I mean, with my manager, it took two, three, you know, two or three years before it finally hit. 
you know. But you put in the time, you put in the work, and these things happen. And, and this is the and power of the And in the, the meantime, your, your script has got to be red hot, right? Oh, it's got, it's got to be on. Obviously, it's got to be on point mm -hmm. because you get one shot. And that's why the look at my thing doesn't work either in a lot of ways. Because a lot of writers with the look at me, they're not being honest with themselves about whether their material is ready or not. Yet. Right. You really have to know your material is on point. And that's a whole different conversation, right? That, that's, you know, you've gone out there and gotten quality coverage or you've gotten, you know, you've done the work to know that that material needs to be out there it's never going to be perfect we all know that yeah but it's it's got to be good enough to know that at the development executive level or at the financier level or at the producing level that it's you know quality that it's that's good enough that if they're going to say no they're going to say no because maybe it doesn't fit with their sensibilities or because, but not because it's a badly written script and i've had plenty of you know situations where i thought this material might be great for a particular production company because I did my homework and because this is the you know type of material that they you know produce, um, where they've come back and said you know we have something a little similar or I you know I this is you know we're going in a little bit of a different direction but here are three other people I like to bring it to, you know and sometimes you have to ask that but you but when you ask that question if you don't have that relationship you're, nobody's going to put themselves on the line for you if you have that relationship they're more than willing to because that makes them look good. So let's say that, so when you talk about the crowd and the crowdsourcing right now, and you're talking on the screenwriting level before you've actually had anything produced, you're talking about this crowd of champions that you can create for yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so now let's say that somebody is deciding to make, let's say, a short film. They're mm -hmm. going to, to direct it themselves or get somebody to direct it in order to show somebody their work. And they want to get an audience. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you mentioned that, you know, you got to know who, who you're aiming at, yep. first of all. What next? Tell me about the crowdsourcing for that kind of a person. It's a great question because there's, I actually wrote an article for Medium. And, you know, you guys can check it out. If you go to Medium and put my Twitter account into Medium, and it's RB Walks Into a Bar. If you know me, if you know me, you know what that's funny. Um, but if you go to, if you go to medium.com, put RB walks into a bar, you'll see a bunch of articles that I've written on this subject. And one of them is, which comes first, the brand of you or the brand of your film. Hmm. Honestly, in a lot of ways, they're two totally different things, especially if you're not looking to work in one particular genre. So if you're, you know, the example of that is if you're going to write exclusively horror, you can blend those things because you're going to be going after people that work in that as far, as far as your brand is concerned, your personal brand, people that work in that arena, um, people who watch those types of films, you know, that's where you're going to go. But if you're doing something that's specific to uh, this particular, you know, it's one genre and then you're looking to get out of it. An example of this would be, I have a very good friend who's a writer director who his first film was more of a, like a, um, more of a heavy drama uh -huh. and it had some serious social commentary to it. So what he did was he went out and sought people that were interested in that, that, uh, that, that subject. Okay. And he engaged them and he, you know, got them interested in what he was doing. And then it was a proving ground, right? Uh, this is what I'm looking to do. And he also does, did this in conjunction with a crowdfunding campaign. And this is the sourcing part of a crowdfunding campaign. You don't just want to carpet bomb the hillside when you're doing a crowdfunding campaign because people have a lot of things to choose from. And you're asking people to give the, you know, give you their hard earned money. Why are they going to do that unless they believe in you? So it's a proving ground, right? So what he did was he went out and he said, okay, People aren't going to support me. They are going to support the subject matter. 
so what he did was he said, this is the film. He first, you know, engaged a lot of people and he identified his crowd who would be interested in this material. Who is the audience for this material? Are there organizations that might get behind this, you know, charities and whatever that might get behind this based on the subject matter? And then he went out there and he engaged all of them. And he said, this is what I'm looking to do. And then he made them part of it. He gave them ownership. And what I mean by giving them ownership is not giving them equity in the film or anything like that. But he said, can you read a few pages of the script and see if I got this right? You know, can you get involved in any way and tell me if I have the tone of this? Would this child act like this if he had this disease or if he was dealing with this kind of, um, if he had to overcome, you know, is this the way that it would go down? And people felt really empowered by that because he was giving them the opportunity to change his material, you know, to be a part of his material, its ownership. Then over time, when you're ready to press the button to move them, now they want to run through a wall for you because you're providing them with that ownership and you're giving them, you're giving them the feeling of being a bigger part of it. Do they okay. become, do they deserve credits on the film as consultants? No, not at all. I don't think, I mean, some people obviously with crowdfunding campaigns will give away credits for, you know, at a certain level. And then you'll have those films where they thank every single person who donates even a dollar, which mm -hmm. is fine. I mean, I think that's great if, if you're willing to do that. Um, but no, I don't think that's the, I don't, that's not really what it's all about. It's really all about this idea of building this army of support and having them go out. Cause what you, you know, ultimately what you want to ask is not only in, a, in the, in the, uh, condition of crowdfunding for the money, what you're really asking them is, Hey, if you know other people that would be interested in this material, can you go spread the word? Because again, really what it comes down to at the end of the day is, I can tell you how fantastic of a writer I am. And if you don't know me, you're going to look at me and go, you and everybody else, right? <laughs> but if we have a mutual friend that you trust and that person says, no, you got to read Arby's material. It's, it's really good. You're going to go, okay, I'm going to push that up the pile. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, give me that. I want to read it. That's what you're looking to do over and over and over again until you build this army. Now, in the case of my buddy who did this film, it was a dark drama and it wasn't, you know, it, it was, he was not, he knew he wasn't going to get a huge audience for this, but he knew he would get a very loyal following if he did things right. And what he did was he delivered on every single promise. He, you know, sent them outtakes. He sent them, you know, pictures from the set. He, he just got them involved at every level, you know, when, when they were done, even in post or even after the movie came out, he still was involved with them. He went to go make his next film, which was completely different. It was like a romantic musical. Okay. <laughs> Totally different crowd, right? That, you know, now he's going to go after people that, are, that love musicals and love this kind of thing and, you know, all that stuff. But now the people who are fans of the first film have become fans of him. Right. And now that's his brand. His brand has become somebody that delivers on all his promises, somebody that is willing to listen and be involved and get other people involved and not be precious about the material. And that, that, and ultimately, the person that delivered on the promise of the film. So now, when he went to go do his second crowdfunding campaign, and he went to go source the crowd, he didn't even have to do anything with that crowd. That crowd li lined up immediately. He, it, they took, I think, I think he, I think he raised like seventy-five grand, which again, second-time filmmaker, feature film, a musical. Okay, he had the thing funded in seven days, and most of that money came from the people from the last film. So the brand, of, the brand of your material usually precedes the brand of you. But the brand of you begins the day that you start going out there 
and promoting yourself or that's a bad word going out there and um revealing yourself to the world and it begins by being a good person it begins by being a selfless person and it begins with you know sharing material thanking people complimenting people being you know, involved in that way. So the brand immediately becomes, oh, he's not one of those people that's going to hit me up or she is going to be one of those people that are going to hit me up for something immediately. Okay. So since we are kind of talking about crowdfunding in the middle of this as well, so Mm -hmm. you've, you've figured out who this would appeal to, you're asking for their input on things. And it seems like you're also saying, and this allows you to pull the trigger on a, on a Kickstarter campaign or yeah, so. Or, it can. Um, so, so, you know, it's so funny how quickly things move. I feel like it was just yesterday where we were like, there's this crowdsourcing, crowdfunding thing. I forget what it's called. I think it's a, you know, foot, foot backer. You know, like it was like, okay. So it feels like that was yesterday. Now, 2018, people are feeling fatigue with crowdfunding campaigns. They yeah. Kickstarter fatigue. Um, so how... How would you recommend dealing with that? Like, let's say in your video or in your in your whole campaign, is there something that you feel could be fresh and get people who feel that they have crowdfunding fatigue uh, back on board? Uh, it, this is such an awesome question because the world has changed dramatically mm-hmm. and there is crowdfunding fa- you know, fatigue. And the really, really smart filmmakers or the people who are being progressive about this are not even worrying about it anymore. What hmm. they're doing is they're going out and making proof of concept for, you know, either short form proof of concept or digital shorts or whatever, raising less money, okay? Uh, not going for the full feature or whatever. Even, even on, I happen to know on the larger level, I don't want to name the platform, there's a couple of platforms that we all know. Mm-hmm who have cut back on their staff dramatically on the film side. And here's why. Most of these film projects are not as high-valued or high-priced, so the goals are not as big as they are on the tech side. Mm -hmm. So they're not throwing the resources behind film as much anymore as they are in tech, because if they they have a successful $5,000 short, it's really not a lot of money to the platform. And if they're using major resources to help that filmmaker get to the goal... You know, they're not, it's a waste of their time in a lot of ways. They feel like that's not, they're not getting the value back that they need to get back. So that's why you have the rise of these independent crowdfunding campaign managers, these, these companies that, you know, you pay them to run your campaign. So that makes it a little bit more difficult as well because it, it's not necessarily the most level of playing fields in a lot of ways. So what a lot of people have done is they said, let's go out and raise the money ourselves on a lower budget, on a lower level. So if we, for example, want to make this feature film, and this is going to be a $5 million feature film, of course it could be years to raise that kind of money. We're probably going to have to attach talent because it's the new world we live in. Is Everything's about attachments these days. So what they would do is they go out and they raise five to 10,000 friends and family, you know, beg, borrow, steal, try to get some, you know, or try to build a crowd that might want to get behind them and give them some equity in it if they can and go out and make the short form version of this as proof of concept and then use crowdsourcing to show, to prove that there is an audience for this film. 
So, so you make a little short. You, mm-hmm. You've crowdfunded just to get enough money to make the short or the or raise content, it in traditional ways or raise it yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. Then you're now going. It becomes its own material, right? It yep. becomes a short film or it becomes a trailer that's so hot or a digital short or a web series, which are red hot right now because of all these digital short platforms and even Amazon and some of these other places are starting to buy digital shorts. And you have you know companies like IFC moving into digital shorts and have digital platforms so it's becoming this is the next wave people just haven't figured out how to monetize it yet some companies are to an extent so you have a lot of filmmakers and writers now writing in short form as proof of concept for something longer but what they're doing is they're using crowdsourcing six to eight months before they actually go and film while they're trying to raise that money so that when that material is posted they can move that crowd to watch it and that crowd that they've engaged the whole way through and kept involved the whole way through and given that ownership that we talked about earlier the whole way through, now they're going out and telling everybody else, you need to watch this, you need to watch this. Now, what does that do for you? Well, if you have a couple hundred thousand views on this video, it becomes a heck of a lot easier for you to go to a production company and go, look, there's an audience for this. And, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface on it yet, but there's an audience. So every production company these days, and I know many of them, even the ones that operated in the world of foreign pre-sales, that that was the model. You know, we we get the good material, we develop the good material, we attach talent, and we get money from foreign pre-sales, and that's how we finance the movie. A lot of these companies now are moving away from the development side of that and saying, we're still interested in good scripts, but we need something else. So that something else could be an actor attachment. It could be a director attachment. It could be some financing. It could be anything like that. Or, or, it could be exist, or it could be based on existing IP, which has become the hot thing over the last few years, right? Everybody wants something with existing IP. Well, the new existing IP, interestingly enough, is views. So if you've created a little YouTube series about yourself, Mm -hmm. right, and you own your life, Mm -hmm. right, and there you are, um, and and then that becomes the IP that everybody wants, Mm -hmm. it's still from just from your imagination. It's not an existing book. It's not an Mm -hmm. existing comic book. So that's very interesting. You're creating a hot IP that was still from scratch from your head. Still from scratch. I mean, I know a manager that uh, found, it's funny, it's actually really interesting. I, you know, I do a lot of lunches and a lot of, you know, you meet with a lot of people and I had, I've had managers in the past that, you know, when you ask them to go to lunch and most reps would love to go to lunch because you end up buying them lunch and they get, they love that because they get a free lunch. And, but it's amazing how many of them now are literally afraid to leave their desk during the day because the next Vimeo, uh, you know, Vimeo uh, short corner film might end up getting a couple hundred thousand hits and they want to know everything about the filmmaker and the writer. That's wild. It's wild, but that's, you know, this, we're in a content goal rush, right? How do you find it? How do you get it? How do you get to the good material? And that's why a lot of these reps and a lot of these producers and even financiers are going online and looking at the number of views certain videos have. And then they start inquiring. If they see something with a million views, they're like, what'd they do? How did they get this done? You know, there's power in those numbers. And like I said, it's becoming sort of the new IP. It's, it really is. So it's, that's part of the sourcing as well. You know, I would just want to add something as a as a you know storytelling teacher. Sure. Um, so even this weekend, um, I was talking to one of my writers. He's going out to New Jersey, and he was like, got some money together. And he wants to do a trailer mm-hmm. for what he imagines his feature film will be based on a script that he wrote that is pretty freaking good, mm-hmm. right? And so I said, well, where else is this trailer going to live other than being a trailer? Like, I don't know. 
to put it up online right now. I was like, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't it be nice if it was also a short film that you could submit to festivals or you could put it on some kind of distribution that does short film content? Like we talked, it took five minutes to figure out how that trailer could actually tell a story with a surprising reveal mm-hmm. that could also be a short film. And then if he wanted to cut that into the trailer of the movie as well, he could do it. But he has he's now doing two things at one time. Mm-hmm. And if that if that short film does well, then like you said, you've got your audience already that loves the storytelling, not just goes, wow, this looks really cool. And if you could spend, like I said, three to six months before that, letting people know what you're looking to do, but you know, you've already built this audience. Like, you know, I spent years building up my social media audience and I do give a lot. Like, you know, people always say to me, it's, and it's a big compliment to me when people come up to me, it's always nice to have people come up to me and tell tell me that like stage 32 changed their lives or I mean, that's great. But I also love when people come up to me and say, you know, man, I follow you on Twitter and it's incredible the material you share. It's incredible how much you give. That's become part of the brand. And people, you know, when I do ask people to move, on the, for the most part, they do on my behalf. If I ask them, you know, if I have an ask, which is the way we put it in the book, um, they respond because they've gotten so much out of me and I'm not asking for anything out of them. So when you finally do ask, you know, them to move, they, they usually move. Um, so again, if you, you know, if you have this amazing proof of concept thing and it's really, or you have a feature script and you've been banging your head against the wall for years, you know, trying to get it made or trying to get somebody to pay attention to it, or people have said to you, you know, it's great, but it's not for us, or it's, you know, you go through all that, we all do. If you can control, and I can't stress this enough in this day and age, the more you can control, and this is why I know so many screenwriters that two years ago, when I say to, I would say to them, like, do you want to direct? And they'd be like, hell no, I don't want to direct. No way. And I'll, I'll be like, what are you up to? And they're like, oh, I'm directing a short. I'm directing a short of my film. I'm like, you're directing? And they're like, what else, what other way? This is the best way for me to do it. I need to prove it. I need to show it. Okay. But even at that, you're doing half the job. Where's the audience? Because, you know, anybody can throw a video up on YouTube. In fact, obviously, based on statistics, millions do a day. But um, not everybody, you know, can get eyeballs on that material in minute one. And this is true in the teaching world. Right. You know, this is true everywhere. This is true with no matter what you're trying to build as a brand and, you know, what you're trying to draw attention to. It's It can't be if you build it, they will come. This, by the way, was the big mistake when crowdfunding first started. Everybody got so excited that it was alternate form, this alternate form of uh, financing that they just believed that their greatness was going to pull them through, that they were going to put up a beautiful video and talk about how amazing their script was and, you know, that filmmaking is going to be just incredible. And people just went, who cares? Like, I I don't know you. Mm -hmm. I don't know you. You can't underestimate the power of intimacy and the power of relationships. And on a micro level, because I do want to draw it back a little bit, because I'm noticed, I know there's probably going to be a million people that are going to say, well, you know, I'm not ready to go do that yet. I'm not, you know... On a micro level, I said earlier that, you know, even getting my manager and getting my, you know, this all came through relationship building. The way that my script got to, the script that ha- made everything happen with my manager, and my manager's been around for 30 something years. He is as well connected in this business as anybody, okay? He doesn't sign anyone, okay? I mean, seriously, I was the first writer, I think he signed in almost seven years. Yeah. He's had the same writers for, you know, he's had, I mean, he's had Shane Black for 30-something years. This guy, 
he suffered, he's another one who suffers no fools. And he just, what, what happened was a director who was attached to him, I knew, I knew an agent. The agent read the script and said, how are you not repped? And I actually had turned down representation two or three times because I didn't like, I, I, I asked the question, how do you see, what, you know, how are you going to guide my career? And I, I didn't like the answer. Look at you, you fancy. No, it's not fancy. And I'm not saying that, and I'm not, I really am not saying that to brag. In fact, I want to make it clear because I actually had this conversation with a friend of mine who got signed by a, a manager a few months ago. We all went out to celebrate. He's had a horrendous experience with the guy. The guy has left him out in the cold yeah. and he has wasted four months of his life and he wants out. Yeah, it, I, think this, I think it's great. Trust me. It's true, but it's true. And, and it really it was, it was, it was, it was actually three. It was three managers and every one of them when I asked, they all like different scripts. This was a weird thing about it too. All three of them wanted to put me in a box mm. and I did not want to be in a box. And mm. I, you know, I asked the questions that I wanted to ask. With David, the way the script got to him was I knew an agent. The agent said to me, you know, this, is a re- this, this script should get you wrapped. And I said, well, you know, who do you want to send it to? Because actually I want to send it to a director. He goes, I'd like to see if maybe this director, he, this, I think the sensibilities are right. Sent it to the director. The director called me and said, I want to bring this to David Greenblatt. And I said, okay. You know, like, I'm like, yeah, right, okay. And he goes, no, he's going to read it this weekend. I said, all right. Sure enough, Monday, this director was on a plane. We went to go sit with David. David said to me, I love this script. I don't know anything else about you. Anybody get it a home run their first time at bat? You know, the rest of you, this is literally what he said to me. The rest of your material may be bleep. And he <laughs> said, uh but I want to be involved with this one, maybe as a producer, but send me your other work. Now, if I would have tried to send that script blindly to David Greenblatt, there is not a chance in high hell that he would have read it. This was all through a champion to a champion to a champion. And what you realize is every single one of, the, well, every single one of these people, the first person put their reputation on the line because they knew me and I built a relationship with him and he liked the material. The second person put his reputation on the line because the first person told him, you got to read it. And he read it and he loved the material, but he didn't know me. But then he put his reputation on the line with David by saying, I want to be involved with this movie. You need to read it. You know what I'm saying? Right. And then the content. And then and the content, of course, yeah, the content wins, of yeah. course, but the relationship opened the door. The relationships open the door. So where are you at the stage with your, that project right now? This is the Covert Media Project, and this has been so interesting. Um, so th- to follow that thread, what happened next was David bought the script to Covert Media. Uh, Paul Hansen, who runs Covert, he's the CEO of Covert. He used to run out of Perna. He ran QED, and then QED put him into Covert. And, you know, he's very well regarded in this business and been around for a long time. He's made a ton of movies. He had a meeting with me, and he, he optioned this. He paid, you know, paid me to take on the script, which was great. It's been, and I mean, man, we were just having this conversation last night. It's incredible with the director. Uh, it's been, we, we had two different directors attached. We had various problems getting actors, even though Covert is financing the movie. And uh, the actors today have so many Options. It used to be that you, if you were an independent film, and this movie is, they're looking to make this movie like, you know, around six to eight million. So not, certainly not low, low budget, but, you know, an independent film. Um, you know, five years ago, all you were fighting, if you were making a paid offer to an actor, you were fighting other independent films and, of course, the studios. Today, you're fighting other independent films, studios, television series. Right. And you're also fighting now limited series where, where a lot of these actors, I mean, like, you know, you look at the, the, um, 
Big Little Lies, the, the way that um, Reese Witherspoon sold that to Kidman and to everybody else was she said, it's only going to be 10 weeks of our lives and we're going to get paid great. Right, and, and, and it's, like, it's like a movie. It's like a movie. Right, but it's a movie with even more screen time. Yeah. Right, and more eyes. Well, not more eyes, but... You yeah, know. but it's not like a television show where you're going to have to come back and come back again, but they all had such a great experience they're coming back again they're going to get paid even more handsomely. But that you're, you're, you're uh, up against that when you're making money offers now. So I was sitting with a director, the, the director that's attached to the film now had a film at Sundance a couple of years ago and is, you know, really, he's, he did, it did well, but he's still, you know, he, you're scratching and clawing. I keep telling everybody, this is a marathon. You're still, you're only as good as the last thing and it still doesn't mean, you know, you look at some of the greatest directors out there and you see sometimes they'll make a movie for four or five years. It's not because they don't want to, mm-hmm. it's because they're freaking hard to put together. And this is what, this is what we're kind of dealing with right now. We've had WME, CAA, everybody involved, going out to actors and everything like that. And where we're at at this moment is we, there is one actor that we have made an offer to that seems to be interested. And if that first domino falls, then everything else should fall pretty quickly. But it's getting that first domino to fall. And this director said to me last night, because I was saying, I get people that have written me and say, oh, you've been talking about this covert thing for like a year and a half to you. Like, you're full of it. And, and, and I just sit there and go, you don't understand the business. And, and the director said to me, he goes, you know, it's incredible, but people don't realize that everybody says the money is the hardest thing. He goes, really attaching the talent is the hardest thing, even with the money. Sure. So that's where it's at. It's been, it's been a ride and a half. And I've been extremely fortunate because I've gone from just being the writer on this one to having a producing role within because I've been involved in helping bring the new director. And I'm very aggressive and progressive. When, when things start falling apart, I look for solutions. Or if, if we hit a wall, I look for solutions. And we have some extremely, obviously, talented and connected people in this room, much more connected than I am. But um, I still have my own connections that I've built over the last six years. I mean, I came out to LA and didn't know anybody six, seven years ago. So, you know, that's, that's where it's at right now. And that's how I try, I try to help in every way I can. So, so um, is it a benefit, let's say somebody else is in your position, and many people are, you mm-hmm. know, they've gotten to that, that place and there's a slight plateau with the fact that, okay, all we need now to really pull the trigger is this, mm-hmm. and there's that, that sort of hurry up and wait kind of feel. Oh, God, yeah. How much do you let your crowd now in on that process? Because you've also got some confidentiality issues probably in terms of the production company going... Um, going, uh, you know, don't, don't tell anybody mm-hmm. or something, would it be beneficial to say, we're just looking for that perfect actress right now or, or not like in the crowdsourcing? Part yeah, of this? definitely. Because people, yes. And it's interesting because, you know, again, this is where my two brands kind of collide. Okay. My brand as the writer is, and as, as the creative is to try to inspire others as well and, and keep people involved and also further my own brand, of course, as you know, with people, decision makers. Mm-hmm. But on the stage 32 side, again, it's being in front of everybody and sort of being the leader and saying like, look, this is, this is, the struggle is real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is a challenge. So while I can't always get into the minutia of like, what actor are we going to, you know, to what actors rejected us? I mean, it's fine for me to say, CAA has read the script, they really, really like it, and they're looking to attach their actors, so has WME, at various times, you know, and this has been the story along the way, and then, you know, who drops out, and who's in, and all this stuff, but, you know, more in a way to make people understand that it is 
incredibly difficult to make a movie. It just is, even with the financing. It is tough. And, you know, Paul and I, again, Paul, who runs the company, Paul's made, a, you know, he has a movie at Sundance. He's got three more coming out this year. I mean, the, this is what he does for a living. I mean, this is what he does, and he does it extremely well. And Paul sits there and goes, you know, it's from the outside in. Like, he goes, you know, I have family that sits there and goes, how hard is it? You know, you have money there. Like, you know, you have, you have financial support. Like, can't you just pay everybody and get the movie started? And it just doesn't work that way. Right. And the other part of it, too, is that the agency, at the agency level, um, they, have, they don't have any incentive, really, to rush. Mm -hmm. Because if and certain actors are getting multiple offers, you know, what's the incentive to read your script first? You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's so you end up waiting like three, four weeks and, you know, and then you get three, four weeks, you get radio silence. And that's like, yeah, they read it, you know, not, not now. Or can you do it in 2020? We've had a few of those. And we're like, well, no, we could all be dead in 2020. And no, we don't want to wait. And, you know, but that's what you get. And it's, it's you know, it, when it first started, my, my manager said to me, you have to make, because again, I wasn't a producer on the film at that point. You know, I really was, I was the writer. And, what he said to me was, you have to make believe this script doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. You just have to. You have to keep writing, and you, or if you're producing something else, go do that. Keep trying to find great material or create it yourself and make like this doesn't exist. Now it's become like we're on the phone every day going, well, how can we push this button? How can we push that button? And it's fun to be involved in that level because I do enjoy the producing side as well. Well, and, and, and when you're crowdsourcing, you're training yourself to be a producer. You don't even realize it, you right? You are. That's what a producer does is they are trying to, they're, they're, they're casting their net into the water, yep. right? And that's what you've been doing. So it was sort of a natural progression. It is, it is. I think the best writers out there, the best, I don't want to say the best writers, the writers who I have seen through the years who have become the most successful understand a couple of things. They understand that they have to build these relationships as we talked about throughout the show, but they also understand how the business works because it is so important to have an even temperament about these things. It's easy to get frustrated and it's, I mean, and deservedly so at times. I mean, it is, a, you know, it, it could be a journey, but you got to understand that it could be a journey. And I always say to people, people can't see us because we're doing the podcast, but I'm holding my hand at level, like sort of at a level middle he ground. He's very much holding his hand at, at a level middle, middle ground, ground right now. And yes. I say, when I used to get good news, when you're first starting out, when you get bad news, you know, that uh, my hand's now by the floor. Uh, and you get good news, you know, my hand's by oh, the floor. Oh, it's way up high way now. Up high oh, now, my God. Okay? Now I get good news and I go, a little up. Get bad news, go a little down. <laughs> you know, you can't get emotional about it. I mean, right. it, you know, you just can't. You know, you got to understand that this is a process and you're only one cog in the machine. And, you know, it, it, these things take time. That hand is going to go way up for you, RB. I oh, just know it. you're just come so back kind. on the show and tell us when it does. I certainly will. Hopefully, you know, maybe I'll come back Monday. Hopefully, we're supposed to get news Monday. All right, <laughs> I'm okay. Just I'm fine I'm with just that. Um, Holy so, cow! And suddenly there's a room full I know, of writers. It's so funny. Like as we're talking about crowdsourcing, and literal crowd has a come in. Crowd Everybody show. say hi to RB. Hello. Okay, there we go. Wow. So we've got our Saturday night right Saturday mm. night Saturday writing group here. Yes, filled with. Uh, brilliant writers who brought pages and uh so yeah we got our, our own little crowdsourced there on saturdays go. um but uh what i would say to everybody is you know this is a substantial book and it's got you know a lot of resources here you also yep. did um you also looked at case studies of su successful crowdsourcing 
uh, campaigns and things yeah. like that. So definitely check it out. Um, I love that it says American Film Market presents too. I was actually pretty honored by that, that because I know cool. Jonathan Wolf who runs AFM and he's he, awesome. He only picks like one or two books a year. So oh, I'm I was make pleased him with pick that. my book. Too. Yeah, you okay. should. All right. So so again, that's Richard Botto, crowdsourcing for filmmakers, indie film, and the power of the crowd. You can find it on Amazon or Amazon, anywhere else. Yep. Amazon and uh, quite a few bookstores, but Amazon and at, at the Focal Press Rutledge site as well. If they don't, Amazon doesn't deliver to you, the, uh, Focal Press and Rutledge will send it anywhere in the world. Excellent. Yeah. And then also, of course, there's Stage 32. Um, yeah. For people to get involved in Stage 32, again, the world's largest platform for mm-hmm. connecting and educating film professionals and content creators. And we now know how important connecting and educating film professionals is. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do they go? Just Stage 32.com? Stage32.com. I can't stress this enough. If you're looking to spend your time networking with people in the industry, this is a dedicated platform for that as opposed to like, let's say Facebook or Twitter where it's diluted by friends and family and people that aren't in the business. This is, you know, it's a half million people worldwide and a ton of executives that are on the platform and there's projects being made every day, but and relationships being built every day. So I get people sometimes they'll say to me, I'm on the platform and nothing, it's nothing's happening. And I'll look and they haven't posted and they haven't sent any network requests. And I'm like, of course nothing's happened. But, um, but for literally hundreds of thousands, things have happened. So uh, stage32.com. And then, of course, for getting in touch with you personally. Mm-hmm. Gee, are you on social media? Is there a way I people can get in touch am, with you, RB? Well, three ways. When you sign up for Stage 32, the first thing you're going to get is a message from me on your wall. That is automated, but I do respond to every single person who responds to that. And you have the opportunity to send me a DM at that point. So you'll see my mug on your wall the second you sign up. I'm looking at your mug right now. There you <laughs> go. And then on Twitter and Instagram, it is, as mentioned previously, RB walks into a bar. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. And I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv to check out the in-person classes and writing marathons at the studio, the recorded classes, a bunch of episodes of this podcast you might not have heard, and the Patreon page where you can support the show to receive goodies. If you check out the calendar on my site or check out what you can sign up for right now, we've put up a whole bunch of summer classes I'm so excited about. There is one every single month. Um, we've got the rewrite class in July. We've got the, the TV class at the end of July. In August, there is a directing for writers class nice. that I'm going to be doing with another teacher because I don't mm. know nothing about directing. Nice. But I do know the cues that people put out on the page. So uh, we're going to be teaching that. And uh, and so I'd love to see you guys there. Also, also RB, yeah. you got to let Stage 32 know about the, the marathons we're having here. Yeah, done. So, so once a month, we open the doors from 9 a.m. to midnight. Yeah. People come in here and write all day. It's That's pretty cool. It's awesome. That's really cool. Do they get goodies? I want to qualify goodies. Okay, well, actually, <laughs> if you do the marathons, you do get candy all day, uh, which all for me day. is like quite a goodie. That's pretty nice. And coffee and water. It's there for you all day. And somebody sits at a table and rings a little bell and tells you when to write and tells you when there's breaks. So basically it's like being five. You get, yeah. you get cookies and sugar. I yeah. mean, sugar and, and, and coffee. Right. I guess five year olds don't get coffee. Although in this day and age they probably do. Yeah. And then you get a bell. Yeah. And what happens? Do you get like a, um, a ribbon if you're the, you know what? If you stay till midnight, I take your picture and do I post you? it. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is pretty but fantastic. People are getting stuff done. It's it's really cheap. It's How once can't a you month. without those incentives? Yeah, yeah. So so come to a writing marathon. The next one is the end of this month, the twenty second. But um, we'll have one every single month. So enough of that. Yeah. Thanks again to my guest R. B. Botto. Thank you very much for being and here. Thank you, Pilar. I really really appreciate You're it. You're so welcome. Thanks to all of you for listening, and have a good writing week. 